0: you guys today is a fun one today i bring on matthew lee morgan my husband and we are going to talk all about our marriage all about kind of discerning the will of god for our family and just this crazy joyful love-filled relationship that we have from the beginning to where we are now so i hope you enjoy Hey you guys, thanks for joining the conversation on my Unveiled podcast. I'm Dallin Morgan, a wife, a mama, and also a pastor. We'll be looking at different topics that interact with daily living, minus all of the churchy language and endless scripture quoting. This podcast is for anyone and everyone who is interested in deepening their faith in a practical and honest way. Let's get to the conversation. Welcome back to the Unveiled Podcast, and this week I have a very special (laughs) conversation (laughs) partner. Uh. The one and only Matt Morgan is going to join us this week. Welcome to the podcast. Thank
1: you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: (laughs) So formal. It's Monday night. We're sitting here eating chips and a second dinner, and all of our children own our electronics. This is great, right? parenting
1: win parenting win
0: parenting win yeah so um when you hear this podcast it will be the day before matt's birthday and so i figured uh we would record an episode and just talk to you about whatever comes up and um in honor of his birthday so if you're hearing this put it on your radar that tomorrow you should um tell matt happy birthday he'll be how old
1: Forty-two.
0: Forty-two. All right. So, I am just gonna kick it off, Matt. What do you want them to know?
1: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I said, "What are my limits to talk about?" <laughs> he did say that? Yeah. I'm like, okay, yeah, here we so go. I, you know, yeah. I, I, I yeah. I'm happily married. It's been a crazy, crazy, crazy 13 years to Miss Reb D is what we call her in the household. Um, we have three beautiful children. She's very strong-willed, and I love the fact that she's doing this outreach—if you want to call it that—or just ex- your podcast. Oh, okay. And I think I'm just a, I'm actually just a very blessed man to be married to call this old lady my wife.
0: Do not be fooled. He never talks like this. This is very <laughs> much a—he's putting on a facade. This is not how Matt ever walks around and talks. Those who know or talk how he talks talk.
1: He speaks I don't how he speaks. Um, you got the degree.
0: Yeah. So those who know Matt personally know that's not how he ever says anything about me. However, I'll take it any day of the week. So why don't we start with? You said we've been married happily married for thirteen years. Thirteen years. That so we've actually been together.
1: Oh, come on, here we go.
0: <laughs> we've actually been together sixteen years, and I count those three years—three long years—before we got married. Don't you? Oh,
1: why were they so long they were good times
0: so matt and i why don't you tell them about how we first met not everything that was going on when we first met no, no
1: drop it no, no. story <laughs> no okay. Okay. but
0: what like how we even came to know each other so
1: i used to work at countrywide home loans which i think it was countrywide and then i don't know in, in plato uh had a coworker friend of mine justin uh and his wife, Katie, hung out with them all the time. And uh, they said, Katie, his ex-wife, had the bright idea. Oh, you got to meet down or Justin's sister. Justin's little sister. She's great. She'll love you. She'll love you. So, uh, ended up going over there and promised to go over there. And went over there one night for a party. And it just happened to be your birthday. You were turning 20 years old. Mm-hmm. So, went over there and met this 20-year-old gal who... <laughs> was nothing like I'd ever dated, and I don't think I was anything like she ever dated. And I was like, you know, let's give it a shot. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of how it all started Twenty twentieth birthday. Whew. Mm-hmm. I remember that night. Mm-hmm.
0: You're yeah. Crazy. So <laughs> I was not who you dated before. Who did what? Give me the type of person you dated before you met me.
1: God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Dated. We didn't do a whole lot of dating. I mean, I, I mean, I dated.
0: The type of girl you were interested in:
1: blonde haired, wild college chick type. Uh, oh, that's about it. Blonde haired. I don't know, just blonde hair. Okay, so. But you and your friends—they were—they were—they were much younger than me. Uh, I was twenty-six. You were turning twenty at the time. Big age uh, difference. Big age difference. Your friends were a little crazy.
0: <laughs> in a loving way in a
1: very loving way we were
0: party animals we
1: were party animals uh i was too just a i guess a different way we were at the bars y'all were sneaking beer put it that way
0: yeah which so. i do not think anybody under the age of 21 should be drinking right i don't condone that right No. no my children that are listening to this i don't condone you drinking under 21
1: i will know if you do
0: yeah they're in the other room by the way um So, yeah, so I guess when we met.
1: Just a big um, age difference. There
0: was an age difference, but there was also like the type, hey, in the kitchen over there. I can hear everything on this podcast. Thank you. Like I said, this is real professional. Uh, But yeah, when we met, Matt and I just, we were not the people that we were used to dating. So I had never dated somebody so preppy, somebody who was like into golf. I mean, that was just not my scene. I was more like a club girl, like we like to go to club and and hip hop spots, and I was in a music scene, and um definitely way more diverse crowd, way more diverse amount of people I had dated and uh Matt was your typical white preppy nineteen nineties guy, which was very different than what I dated, right? He fit that mold right yeah,
1: stereotype yeah
0: that was a stereotype right but he fit that to a T. he had the puka shell necklace and the, like, baseball hat and like it was just golf
1: tan like, oh shorts.
0: yeah it was just and that's not who i was used to dating and so it was really interesting so yeah fast forward uh we were supposed to go on our first date
1: really you're going there
0: yeah and he stood me up I'm just letting y'all know he stood me up for our first date and he had this long story about how he uh he had a friend that was in from out of town he never got to see so they were gonna hang out and I was like oh that's so wonderful Okay that's fine and he actually was just partying with his roommate and friends that came over. Uh but then I can't clean then he told me and we went on our first uh date. It was where?
1: It's Mexican food restaurant in the colony, I can't remember. Angelina's in the colony.
0: And um yeah, I mean, I think right after that, I mean it wasn't like love at first sight, wasn't we weren't inseparable after that. I mean we did try to date each other for about a month or so before we came official. Um I would think, right? Yeah. And um and then yeah, we were we I think we broke up once. Yeah. One time. One time.
1: When you were in Austin.
0: Yeah, and when I moved down to Austin, and then we got back together because Matt realized his life would never be so good without me. <laughs> is that is that what you thought? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Yeah. And then we got married. We just actually had our wedding anniversary, September 29th.
1: Yes, ma'am.
0: And uh, that was 13 years. 13 years.
1: Glorious years. Yeah.
0: Now you think Oops. all those years have been great? Heck no. No. It's been
1: great, but I don't think anybody's marriage is, I don't care who they are. If they say their marriage is perfect, they're full of it. It's its the—it's a very rewarding but very, very difficult thing to do. I mean, you always got to love you, but sometimes it's very hard. I know I've made it very hard for you to love me. Uh, unconditionally I mean it's I've I've put you through some stuff and you know we've made a lot of sacrifices for each other Um, but that's the vows we took and you know I couldn't imagine life without you Uh, or the kids you know it'd be nice to get away a little bit you know besides (laughs) just the deer blinds for a couple hours but (laughs) yeah
0: so I think when we went when we got married uh gosh I mean we talk about it all the time now like or at least I talk about it I feel like I was a baby then but compared to like all my friends who were having you know most of my friends either our senior year of high school or right after high school started having their children and so by the time we were in my you know mid-20s I was in my mid-20s I felt old compared to like everybody else just starting our marriage and starting our life together and then having kids. But now I look back and I think, gosh, we were young. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even then it felt young, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you were 30, right? 29, 29, 20, uh, no, I, mean, no, I was no. 23 when we got married, 25 when we had Kaylee. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, what it was. yeah something like that. so yeah, I mean, 13 years have gone by and it's kind of, you know, I think for some people listening to this, you know, It's just, I guess, important to know, like, we have fought for our marriage, you know? And in every kind of way. And although we're a pastoral family now, we weren't when we got married. No. I had no idea that I would ever be called to be in ministry as my vocation as a pastor. No,
1: I mean, you look at it, I never would have thought about it, I mean, at at all. I mean, we, we both grew up in the church. Uh, you know, I kind of got away from church, you know, just, you know, doing the college thing and lived with my roommate and just one of those things that never really came up. Of course, we went to church on Christmas Eve with the family and did all that stuff. But, I mean, when we got real serious and maybe even think we were engaged, you know, that was kind of a big conversation to get into church. But it was still, we weren't part of the the, the groups, the church groups. I mean, we went on Sunday probably twice a month, but it was never a thought that ever crossed my mind that my wife would be a pastor or I'd be a you know involved in church so deeply but uh hell here we are you know how many years has it been since we started so when did you get that we knew something was going on I mean kind of jumping ahead here but there was something clicking in her that you know this is not what she's supposed to be doing I think you were a director to preschool at the time
0: Mm-hmm. You yeah, got your so, education
1: certificate, and you were like, that's still not it. There's something here. There's something different.
0: Well, I think to back up, so I, you know, I'm a big proponent of you should be serving in different places in your life, either if it's in the church or out in the community. And the reason for that is if you put yourself in situations that you are not familiar with, you will see and hear from God in a new way, right? So I was. Um, I guess serving in our youth program at the time as a confirmation sponsor, and we went to Hamilton Park UMC, which is an all-black church or predominantly black church, and it's one of our historic ones in Dallas. Uh, we took our confirmants there from you know predominantly white suburban church to Hamilton Park. That was a big shock for a lot of our children or our youth at the time, uh, which was great for them to see a different style of worship. Um, but at that worship service is when I first realized that I was being called into something different in- um, so, like I know to this day I mean still remember and I don't remember like exact wording very often uh, but for me the whoever was preaching I wish I knew I always wish I could go back and look up who that was on that day cuz I'd love to know who that was to tell them, like, that God spoke to me through them, but, um, the pastor who was preaching said, if you pray for a relationship with God, get ready, it will rock your world, and something in my soul just lit up, and I had one of those moments that, you know, goosebumps all over my arms, and I was, like, tearing up, and I thought, what is happening? Nobody else feels this? It was such a a strange feeling that I had never felt in church before more than an emotional response it was like the presence of God was laying on me at that moment Uh, I would have never used those terms then I didn't know what that was but when I look back on it I really truly think that was it and then fast forward several months like that happened early fall Um, I had just taken a new job as a preschool director at a new preschool uh, and I was going to get on my teaching certification so I spent a lot of time doing that you know a lot of Saturdays a lot of study hours all this testing because I was like I really feel like I'm called to be a teacher and I didn't do um, with my degree it is a teaching degree but I didn't do student teaching in college because I couldn't afford to go without pay and so I was doing the alternative route and spent all this time and energy and whatever, got all my teaching certificates. And then um, I really started to feel like it's time to to come home. And there's a whole story wrapped in that, and I'll spare you the whole story. But basically, every time I got to the stoplight on my way to work, I heard a voice in my head saying, go home. And eventually it became so strong, and I started to tell Matt, like, Matt, I think I'm supposed to be at home. I'm not supposed to be working anymore. Which led to a whole conversation of what in the world? Financially.
1: Yeah. How are we financially going to do that? Mm-hmm. I was working at the insurance company. I wasn't making enough. Uh, it would be a stretch. And it would take me getting a second job, And which was okay. But, like got to give you a little bit more reasoning why are you coming home yeah what's what's going? why don't you
0: want to work right i mean that was kind of and i didn't have an answer i was like i don't really know and we can't afford this this doesn't make any sense it was kind of a strange feeling so i remember at the time our pastor chris yost y'all heard his name uh jordan's the second episode i've ever done uh jordan was on here and, and anyway Chris was our mentor and pastor. And uh, so we talked about him on that episode and this episode. And uh, I remember I I said, you know, like, hey, can you come over? We just need to talk. And he had no idea what he was walking into. And the first thing I said to him, which I, it's so crazy that it comes out now, is that um, I said, you know, I'm not being called into ministry. Which is something I can't even believe I said because I don't know where that came from. I never would have thought I would have gone into ministry. So, this idea that I would say I'm not going into ministry. Like, this is... Like, it's just like
1: you're. you're I feel never like moving. I'm being
0: called to be at home, right? But I'm not being called into ministry. I mean, that's not what this conversation is.
1: Oh, you're never moving to East Texas either. <laughs> right. no, I, no, no, you're not moving me to East Texas.
0: <laughs> right, but at least with that, that and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but at least with that decision, I knew we were moving somewhere. With yes. this, I didn't know what was going on, and it never even crossed my mind to go and work at a church. Yeah. I didn't know how people worked at churches. I just showed up on Sundays like I didn't know the process I didn't know how to become a pastor at the time I didn't even realize I could be a pastor in the Methodist church because I'd only seen male pastors and growing up Catholic like and Catholic and Baptist like there were no female pastors or priests and so anyway long story short by the end of that meeting with Chris the prayer that has stuck with us for years was this I don't remember exactly but but a synopsis is, like, God, wherever you're leading us as a family, let us go there. Because even by the end of that, that was a long meeting. Oh, it was like two hours.
1: Oh, and Chris just ate it up, too. You're like, oh, Chris, I, you know, I'm not being called in Mister. I can't preach in front of people. And his little shame grin, mm mm-hmm. yeah. He knew something was brewing. He did. Yeah.
0: yeah. But, but we really, even then, I mean, it took a long time, even after that meeting, uh, But just having this kind of open faith of, like, what in the world is happening? You know, it's so different than anything we planned when we got married. Like, we had a plan for our life. And this is, like, can't even imagine it, you know? And I guess that's how it happens for most people. I don't think, like, eight-year-old kids are running around saying, I want to be a preacher. Maybe, but I think for most people, it kind of shocks out of nowhere, you know? Um, And so, anyway, yeah, we got married started to live our lives started having babies and then god came calling and said you need to become a pastor and so
1: hello smu
0: <laughs> yeah we started that new journey and uh i wouldn't say our life was easy up until then definitely different but i do think after like living into that calling as a pastoral family even at the very beginning like me moving and coming home and then trying to discern what that looked like, and then working for the church at all in any kind of form or fashion, you know, it really started to shift our identity. And I think it also, um, I fought was, that pretty was good. Was challenging in a new way.
1: Yeah, I fought right? that. I dug in pretty good. About I'm not changing who I am. I am, you know, I am who I am. I, you know, it's I'm gonna drink beer. I'm gonna. Still have a can of dip in my mouth, you know. You're not gonna tell me who I can be, how I talk, how I'm gonna be, um, and I don't know why that was. That's, I think that's just my personality digging in and fighting it. But that whole change in the way we lived our life is—it's been great. It's been difficult, but it's also you know the whole thing about been very fore- foretelling, just the way. We always try to plan things, and it never turns out. What we plan is never Never. what it's going to be.
0: Oh, it just makes me so mad. Nothing
1: ever. (laughs) We're doing this. We're going to build a house in Salina. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Nope. Flipping the script. It's always changing. Everything is ever-changing, and it's always be ready. But that's the one thing we are very good at is adapting and trusting what has been laid on our minds and our hearts and our souls or just whatever has been thrown out there, we are willing to jump in and go. Uh, not to our own detriment or anything. I think it's been beneficial. I think
0: it is, but it's hard. Oh God, it's, it's hard. It's hard to <laughs> walk through. It's right?
1: scary. It's a little scary.
0: I would say before before I went into pastoral ministry, for the most part, Matt and I never fought. For the most part, we would have fights specifically over laundry, checkbook, laundry and checkbook. Those things have not changed. In fact. I have, there's a whiteboard sitting in front of me. <laughs> we're sitting in our office area. And I have a date that I put off there. It says 10-21. That is the last time we had an argument over the checkbook. So, the reality <laughs> yes. is that this is like the never-changing arguments in our marriage. The laundry, getting it done, and putting it fully away. And, you know, money, right? It's the never-changing things. And, um, and I would say that those were the conversations arguments we had prior to becoming a pastoral family I would say after becoming a pastoral family um, the arguments have continued to be about those things yeah. but they definitely have become more because we're being pushed and pulled and shapened and um, all the roughness is coming off of us but you don't you don't go from, you know, a piece of coal to a diamond easily. Man, there's a lot of moving Squeeze and shaking. In. Yeah, and squeezing and pulling and pressure put oh. on, and that's going to come out somewhere, you know. And so I think, I think for us, what's been a saving grace in our marriage is that we were called in the ministry because it opened our eyes to things we would have never seen. Yeah. That didn't make it easier when you have to walk through those things together. Uh, it makes it really difficult. And it makes it really hard to live into the vows of "I'm gonna love you forever because you're my best friend." You know the, all the things you say on your wedding day. Oh, and we're just gonna do life together. and It's gonna be so perfect oh, every it's day. So great. <laughs> uh, but I do think after. I mean, I think before we we had this experience, we started living as a pastoral family. We floated through our life
1: uh-huh.
0: without real thought, without real concern. I mean, we had thoughts, but not nothing deeper than, what are we going to eat for dinner? Where are we going this weekend? What, where are we going to take vacation? It was Those all centered around
1: us and our kids. Very self-centered. So the, right?
0: Even though I would say we were giving people. Still giving, right? Compassionate people, serving people. But, but it was skin deep. Right? Agreed. And so, it really, I think what Matt was saying is so true about, it was identity shaping. And there's something about identity that you don't ever want to let go of and part of that, I think, is the facade people have placed on pastors and the expectation of how pastors and pastoral families should live, how, what they should be like, how they should talk, their behaviors, all of these things. And so where Matt was struggling, like, well, I don't have to...
1: Conform to anybody.
0: Conform to anybody. I'm going to continue to do whatever I want to do. And his was probably more behavior-based as far as, like, you know, I, I'm, what'd you say? Drink I'm going to dip. I'm going to drink.
1: I'm going to cuss.
0: All these, like, things, you know. For me, it was more of like, oh, they're going to want, then I have to walk around and I have to quote scripture, you know. Um, then I'm, and I guess some of it was behavior for me, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, like, how can I be a pastor if, if they're expecting a pastor to be, like, X, Y, and Z? And I do not fall into any of those categories. No. I still don't fall into those categories. I mean, there's a group of pastors that, um, man, trying to find community within the the pastor field, I guess, uh, that's hard when you don't fit in anything. And I still struggle with that. Um, there's still so much of an expectation of what a pastor is and a pastoral family is and this level of like righteousness that we're, extra holy and we are put on a pedestal of our behaviors you know and that is just that's a lot that's a lot to like wrap your head around and then you're like hold on what do i actually really have to change because not because of what i'm doing but because i should be changing this and then what is it that people want me to be but that's never going to be me
1: i mean, it's weird too because you meet people and you talk to people and out to dinner with a business meeting or somebody they're having a glass of wine or something well what do you do for a living well I'm a pastor that's what she'd say and you could tell their attitudes and their tone and their I mean just everything about them changes well maybe they shouldn't be drinking the glass of wine or they they tone down their language or everything just their whole attitude towards y'all changes maybe not so much in a bad way but they're a lot more reserved
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh and just, they're not, I don't think being there. I don't know, it's just it's very different when they we know, I mean it's, it, we've talked about this before it's like, man, I mean, I don't it's hard to explain, but when they find out you're a pastor, or you're married like at work at McCoy's, like, what does your wife do? Oh, she's a pastor. Well, I'm sorry I was cussing, and I was like, I don't give a sh-. you know, it doesn't bother me it's not, I'm not going to judge you because of that but they immediately change just because you're a pastor. And I find that I find that personally frustrating because I was like, it really doesn't matter. Yeah.
0: You know. Well, and I think that's part of the expectation. So they put that on a pastor, pastoral's pastoral family they that you on have on to pedestal. live a certain way. And then in, in turn, they feel like they have to be a certain way. So it's actually a whole bunch of fakeness happening. Yeah. And that's not healthy or healing for anybody, you know. And, uh, you know, Matt does not listen to all my podcasts by the way, uh, but what I would say, three, some of them, some of them, <laughs> but I mean done four? what I would, no, more than that, no, my I think this is the 8th, really, oh my gosh, or 7th, I don't know, anyway, um, you know, I, you know the reason this is unveiled is because we, we often try to hide who we are, and if we're not our full selves, then we not, and we're not authentic, then what are we doing? Like, what's the point? We're all just walking around acting like we've got our life together, that everything is perfect, you know? And and by the way, like, if you're a person that cusses and drinks and smokes and, you know, does all the things that supposedly religious or faith-based people shouldn't do, I just want to tell you, like, we're not judging you. I don't think any of that makes you a bad person or a wrong person or that... You know you should or should not do anything that's your convictions and you need to make that decision for yourself and what's best for you and your family um but i would just say for me like i can't stand that that those expectations are put on people i think it hurts pastors and their families right this is about me and matt in this episode but i think it also hurts people who are trying to you know get closer to god however that looks and then They feel like they already have to conform just because they met a pastor. All of a sudden, they can't cuss. Y'all, I have news for you. Like, I cuss, and I don't think that's, like, a shady thing, and I don't think that's, like, ooh, look, she's cussing. Like, I'm a human being, you know? Like, I mean, there are times where my children are like, Mom, quit cussing. You know I mean? That's who I am. That. Now, I try to not speak like that on Sundays out of respect because some people find that really offensive, you know. But, like, in my own home when I'm with family or friends or um, in small groups who I know the people, like, I will have natural conversations that, that flow naturally. Now, I'm not a sailor, but I've never been a sailor when it comes to cussing, right? Um, don't drink anymore, but that was, that's my choice. You know, when I first got called into ministry, we were both smoking, That was a hard, hard uh, line to cross. And I remember asking Chris because he walked through this process with me in discernment, and it got to the place of, like, you know, you shouldn't do drugs. Well, you shouldn't do drugs, but, you know, I mean, all the things. And and so some of that stuff I did have to let go of. uh, But I do think it was very identity-shaping, even if it didn't need to be. And we really struggled with that. Like, who are we? Who who do people think we should be? But then who are we really? And then what what who is God making us out to be? Man, that's a whole...
1: And it's an ever-changing... and Not an ever-changing. It's an everyday. For me, now, mm-hmm. I think I've grown more in this past, since we moved to Paris. But most recently in this past year, dealing with the issues that I've had to deal with. And the things that I put my family through that I've needed to handle on my own. And dealing with them, I couldn't have dealt with them without God. And my relationship has grown, you know, a hundredfold. Um, I still am who I am. My, you, know, it, you know, that's not changing. But just a relationship with God. And I don't think I'd ever, pro- I don't know if I would ever gotten there without you taking that, you being called this way, for me to see things that way. Because none of the guys I ever hung out with, Hell, none of them ever go to church, I don't think. Um You know, my friends now are guys that I meet at the church, you know, you know, outside of the church here in the community. You know, there's a couple, but, you know, for the most part, it's the people at my church. But good old boys that we hang out with, and I mean, I don't know. It's just, that calling has taken me, and it's taken me a long time to get here. How long have you been doing this?
0: Oh, you asked me that earlier, John. Five
1: years, four years? Four no, years. we've been
0: here in Paris three and a half
1: years. Three and a half years, so three and a half years. Here. God, it seems like forever. Uh, but, I don't,
0: five years before that?
1: Yeah, it, it, it going through school and everything else, but I mean, it's literally taken that long for me to really get into my relationship, and it's growing every day. You know, some days are better than others, but uh, I didn't know where I was going with that.
0: No, I mean, I think that that's, you know, people's faith walks are different. And just because, you know, I do this for a living, of course I'm a little bit going to be more tuned in than probably you have to be. And yeah. Yeah, we all grow at different different paces, you know. One thing we started, um, which is such a, I think, a blessing to our family, is we started to read scripture together. Now, you might be shocked like, what? She didn't y'all already been doing that? So we've been married, how long?
1: too long okay
0: <laughs> remember 13 years we've been together 16 years uh and in our
1: kids are 11 july eight, basically eight, yeah. at the beginning
0: of july end of june it's the first time on a continual almost daily basis that we um started to sit down and sorry easton just came in the room Get that um, like I said, real professional over here. Uh, but we started to read scripture together, which is very, very pastoral family like. Uh, I that, enjoy it. Yeah, I, at first, know. I was like, come
1: on, really? Do we really have to sit down? We can't get the kids to pay attention, but man, it's made a difference in our family. Hell, it gets them tired now. Instead of them being wound up watching TV before they go to bed, you know, they sit in here. Hold on, I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, so (laughs) this is what talking to your kids does. But yeah, I think we do enjoy it. We I think we've learned more and grow together. And there's just I'm not saying like sitting down and reading scripture is like the cure all for your family. Trust me, that's not it, you know? And that's not the point of it. But the point is that we're growing in our faith at different levels, at different rates, but we're all doing it together and for I think for so many of us, right? And and I'm just going to say this, and it's probably not very nice, and if, if this offends you, I'm very sorry. Talking to me? Yeah. But to the men out there. Oh. I think for most women, at least in the relationships that I've counseled, uh, there's a desire by women to like want to grow closer to faith and want to grow closer to Jesus and do more practical things to do that, like praying together or reading scripture together. And there's this very large percentage of males that I think have this overtly masculine identity that I don't do that. Men don't need to sit down and read scripture, which is very opposite than it was 50 years ago where men really were leading the household and doing all that. now, most guys I know that are our age or younger, I don't even know if they have a Bible. And they're Christians. I'm not even talking about non-Christians. I'm talking about Christians. They've never sat down and read scripture. They've never opened up the Bible and looked at anything. They're just showing up to church when they do or going through the motions. And so, I, sh- I think sharing this is to say, like, you're never at an age where you can't start, just start doing yeah. something, you know. It's not a feminist thing to sit down and read scripture. Like... You can be a man and sit down and read scripture and take something away from it. I, I mean, it's it's. it's of not a
1: man's job to say we have to sit down and read scripture. He doesn't have to lead in reading scripture. He doesn't, in right. my opinion. I mean, you know, it's.
0: Yeah, you want to go there real quick? Go there. We'll go there. Let's talk about that. How's that feel he, when you he get he's told? To off. you <laughs> <laughs>
1: trying to piss off? <laughs>
0: the message about how the man is supposed to lead that women should not be preachers how does that go over with you when you hear those kind of things and then i share personal experiences with you of how i've been treated or things that have been said to me directly
1: i get pissed but you're a big girl and i've had that comment more than once that you know the men are supposed to lead the women aren't supposed to lead you know that's not their place to lead i was like have you ever met my wife she will cut you (laughs) yeah, <laughs> is my response. And, <laughs> <laughs> she uh, it uh, yeah, I just think that's bullshit. I I really do. I, I Jesus doesn't call. You know, God doesn't call just men to act upon this. I mean, when people have callings, I don't care who you are. When people are answering callings to serve, I think is one of the most. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for here? I mean giving of yourself. I mean you're giving up your actually you're gaining more in your life, but I, I say I was gonna say you're giving up your life to serve, but at the same time you're also gaining in your life to serve.
0: You're giving up your old and getting your
1: new new. Yeah. yeah. Which is a very like we've talked about, it's scary. It's hard. Back to what you were saying, but it, it frustrates me. It yeah. really does frustrate me. It's just the good old boy mentality that these guys, I'm the man of the house, I'm doing this, yada yada. Your wife needs to stay at home, cook and clean, yada crap. I was like, man, it's 2020. I was like, it really is. And watching you walk through, going to SMU, learning all the things that you've learned and, you know, what's your number one fear? Speaking in public. Yeah. Public speaking. I wanna go be a pastor. Don't you have to talk every Sunday? Yeah in front of people. (laughs) You know, but watching you do that and you grow and your faith has made us grow in our faith or just helped us along the way see things that we wouldn't have seen before. I just think it's a beautiful thing. And for people to tell you you shouldn't answer your call because you're a female, they're shit. Straight up. Yeah. I mean, it just it doesn't make any sense to me. But that's me. Yeah. You know?
0: Well, and I would say, like, I just don't even defend it. I mean, there's nothing to defend. This is my faith. This is my life. This is my calling. If you don't agree with it, then you don't have to agree with it. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't make people agree with what I do. And if you're like, well, that seems so dated. Like, people don't really think that anymore. Let me tell oh, you, people you. think that. And, uh... I mean, I've had people say, you know, I just really don't believe that women should be pastors. But then I hear you preach, and I know this, like, you're so gifted. But I just can't come to your church because you're a woman. And so those things are all the time, right? Uh, now, I wouldn't say weekly. Uh, I wouldn't
1: say monthly either.
0: They, sometimes they come in, in like... Spurts. Spurts, right? I mean, there was a day last week, or last year... Um, one of our staff members, I can't remember who I was talking to, but I was like, can you believe that happened? And then the next day, another thing happened. Can you believe that happened? I'm going to start counting. What's going on? It happened like three or four times in a two week period that something about being a woman and being a ministry and our roles or whatever it was, it was kind of under attack and it was just, it's just like, it's like when is enough enough? When are we going to move on from this conversation? Like there are more important things in the world to address and uh, help with and be concerned about than my gender or anybody's gender for that matter, right? Yep. let move on with that. So um, yeah, so we, t- we talked about what? How we met, our marriage, getting called. What else are we gonna talk about? Are you to talk about fostering? I'm going to do a whole episode about fostering, like, my opinions on what that, what that was like, like, as a, from a foster parent's perspective, but also the critiques I have for the fostering system.
1: Well, there's, that could be a whole episode on itself.
0: I mean, that is. No,
1: no I'm yeah. saying just the critiques. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, but, you know, we were foster parents. We've done it. You know, we had a set of brothers, a uh, 10-year-old and a, was he two? Two? Not when we got him, but... Okay, half-brothers. Had them for six, nine months. The baby, or the two-year-old for nine months. The older one for six. And that really opened our eyes to the whole CPS process. uh, The different strings that are attached to the whole state system and everything around it. There's too much to go into. But that was a very, 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 very difficult time with us uh you know with our three biological kids bringing the other two in it was very challenging it was very challenging mm-hmm. um just mixing blending the personalities i mean the whole issue with his family not the issue but the it, it was it, i don't even know how to delve into that we could talk for that for hours but it was very challenging um the older child was super aggressive. My kids weren't used to that. Their upbringing was extremely rough, rough violent in nature. Uh, moving how many schools? They were in seven schools in the last year before we got them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, the poor kids. You know, that, and that's what we did. I mean, that's we knew we had a calling. There was something.
0: So let's talk about that because people are like, what does it mean to be called? And we just talked about what I felt called in the ministry, what that felt, folks. But now here's a, a thing. I mean, obviously you had to say yes to the ministry part two. But yeah. for fostering, what does that calling look like? Right? So this is a good takeaway if you're listening to this, either for yourself or your you know, marriage or spouse or whatever, relationship, how do you know if you're being called into something together?
1: It keeps popping up.
0: It won't most, go away. It won't go
1: away. And yeah. it pops up in the most random times. You know I'll Google now you're getting ads on your phone like we'll have a sit here have a conversation and you <laughs> pop up you, you pick up the phone it's like damn serious listening to you and it's your ad pops up on your phone well this it's kind of the same way it keeps coming up mm-hmm. and it does and it does and it does and the short synopsis of it we were told we wouldn't be able to have kids uh we've been trying for a year year and a half whatever the
0: this is right when we got married, right? right when
1: we got married, doctor said, nope, can't have kids unless you get on certain medicine, blah, 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 has a high rate of miscarriage, well, let alone, did we know that, he didn't know, we were pregnant at that doctor's meeting. Uh, but
0: nobody knew
1: it. Nobody knew so it. So we started this process. started the adoption process, adoption, looking into it, you know, did that for a few weeks, next thing you know, boom, she's pregnant. It kind of went away, we popped Kaylee popped out. We had Easton let Okay, well,
0: right let's, let's not just say the children popped out. That's <laughs> probably not the way to describe it. Good birth. job,
1: darling. Good job. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah. I she
0: gave birth
1: to yes. three of our beautiful children that yes. are amazing and like their father. Uh, <laughs> no, and then, you know, out here in Paris, there's such a need out here. In Lamar County, I'm, there's, I'm sure there's a need everywhere you go, but... But it was brought to our attention here. Brought to our attention. Really brought to our attention here. Especially coming from, you know, Little Elm, Frisco area, which is more... The poverty... I don't even know if it's a poverty issue, but the more... I
0: mean, yeah, there is some... But, but I would say, like, in Frisco and Little Elm um, and that... It's a growing neighborhood, so not everybody stays there. It's just not as... Uh... The needs and the ever-changing like the needs there are constantly changing you know and so i i think they don't even know the needs out there you know and then here obviously i mean those that don't know that listen to this so i don't know what the statistics are for all of lamar county but i would say for our kids school when we moved here i don't know if it's changed but when we moved here you know elementary school our kids go to um, is eighty would, would be eighty percent of the kids would be on free and reduced lunch. So actually, the whole school is, which is a really nice blessing for us. Uh, so everybody just gets, you know, free lunch, and, free lunch, and you don't even get an option to buy it. Uh, but that being said, you know, unfortunately, when people live in neighborhoods of and generations of poverty, anxiety runs high, and that can cause a lot of substance abuse and child like direct and neglect. child abuse and neglect, and, neglect. Um, and so obviously there's a lot of that out here now I would also like to say uh, that you know just to be very fair there is people from all walks of life all backgrounds there are people who are very wealthy who have had their children removed um, there's no like if you're this person you know, all of a sudden you're, you don't have to worry about having CPS called on you. That's not true. Um, it hits every social class, mm-hmm. it hits every single race. I just think the reason it's so prominent out here is there's a systematic approach um, to raising children out here that's embedded in some of the, the, in some of the socioeconomic classes that are continuing the cycle of having your children taken away and I remember talking to somebody in the CPS office and I won't tell you who this person is but this person said we were talking about helping families who have had their children t- like working directly with the families who had their children taken away you know it's parenting class or management, whatever it is, to get their children back because we really Rehab. But, yeah, whatever it is, yeah. right? And that the this this is what got me. It's so sad because we have certain churches here where there's such an embedded culture, and the people and families that have been going to these churches that they expect now. This is this is where it got me. They, they expect at some point somebody in their family will have their children removed. How? That is a systematic issue. That is not a... I'm not taking... I'm not saying it's the parents or grandparents or whoever raising the children are not responsible for the actions. That's never the case. But there is a problem when you see generations of family, generations of socioeconomic class having children removed.
1: You could talk to six... I'd right, say ten. One out of every ten people. You could talk to... And they will know somebody in their family or a close relative or somebody down the tree that has been involved with the foster system somehow, some way. Yeah, cousins been, kids were taken away. I mean, they're, they're siblings, some, siblings. Or,
0: or I was in foster care. Carey. Or it's a, I mean, it's it so pervasive out here. Um, I would say for us, the, the number one reason that we have been told. Of course, there's lots of reasons. Like, once you get a child in their home, you realize, like, oh, my gosh, they've been through everything. Yeah. Um, But the number one reason children are being removed from family right now is drugs. Meth. Meth.
1: It's bad. From infants
0: to high schoolers. Yeah. Meth.
1: Yeah, and our the last boy that we took in, baby E, we got a call, you know, so the other two, the first two two kids one went back with the oldest one went back with his granddad um, which is an older gentleman which okay and the other one went was adopted by another family who's now moved as well Um, and then so we kind of took a break regathered ourselves re-energized got back to our roots with our family because I mean it was very stressful it was stressful for us stressful for the kids Um, I was gone a lot with work a lot traveling um, so it left down here to kind of the man the whole front as well as work a full-time job. It's very stressful. Uh, and then out of the blue, you know, what, a year later? Maybe? No. How long was it?
0: Six months.
1: Six months later.
0: It was last fall to last spring.
1: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Six months later. See, that's why I'm not good with <laughs> the calendars. Uh, six months later, she uh, said, so, you know, what do you think about fostering? and I kind of looked at her I was like you know I, I, I'm down to do it again and I was like you know and then how we many- just
0: had very strict stipulations but I'll tell you this is how you know it's a calling you know I it sounds so crazy but the um, when I called uh, how do I say this you know after after the two-year-old two left we need a break our whole family needed a break I need a break whatever and uh, it was in October that or November that um, I called our CPS worker and said hey or I guess our foster, our foster uh, case worker and said, hey, you know what, like, I know this is a strange thing, but I really feel like we're supposed to take in an infant. And I don't know if there's a need right now, but I, and, and we walked through this, and she's like, well, like, what age are you thinking? You know, we were trying to put some boundaries up that would work with our family, and I was like, I really think we're supposed to have, like, a fresh new baby, like, right out of the hospital, a baby. That was
1: part of stipulation. We don't want older than.
0: Right, we, that. The messing up, the uh, what is that called? Like first sibling, second or first child, second, like right? With the child age, I
1: couldn't, and the that. middle
0: child, oldest child thing. What's that called? But anyway, we didn't want to mess that up, and so we needed a baby. But I just had this urge, like it was just late on me, call. Well, then we didn't hear anything, and I was like, well, I, mean, I guess we're not supposed to foster, you know? That was interesting. So that was November, okay? Mm-hmm. And at the end of March, Matt and I were talking and we we're like, well, you know, talking about family planning is what came up first. Like, do you think we should try for another one? Like, I don't think our family's done. Like, I really feel the need that we're supposed to have a baby. And I mean, we really, I mean, it was like laid on us. Like, we could not quit talking about it for a few days. Like, oh, are we really, do we really want to have another biological child or maybe we should adopt or whatever. Three days later, we got a call that uh, there was a three-day-old baby and um, that we needed to go get baby E. I I share with you that, how you know something's a calling because if you look back in time, um, just because I've talked to baby E's father and know a little bit about their situation, probably deeper than a lot of foster parents parents would know um, that is a blessing of my job I, I get to have those more intimate conversations I guess um, that is the time that mom started making choices and that would have that ended up with baby E being taken away from her yep. um, I could have never made that up but I could have never known that's the exact
1: time <laughs> when she started going down the wrong path Right. Changing her ways to where her... Going back to her old ways. Right. And what she got.
0: And this person didn't live here. This person lived out of state in Oklahoma. And so, it's not like I knew them or anything, but I think it's so crazy the the callings that we get in our life. Like, you just have to trust and listen to what it is. And it might seem crazy. I mean, Us talking about having another kid sounds crazy now, but man... When I could stop, you know, two months later and look at like the timing, I mean, I still get goosebumps, right? Like, that was God. Mm-hmm. And it could have just been a thought in my head. Oftentimes, that's what I think. Like, I just have this random thought in my head, but that's not my thought. That's God's thought. And so, learning to discern between those has been a theme of our entire marriage right yeah. <laughs>
1: that's oh, what it feels like right hey babe what do you think about him? <laughs> i'm like oh hell what now
0: <laughs> it's uh, the truth yeah so yeah it's been a journey i would say with baby e that was the hardest uh that because was hard. we hey. were both here we took him home from the hospital we brought him
1: home pretty much right during the beginning of covid
0: right at the beginning of covid so we were all home with him all the time um the sweetest little thing you know baby E was in the NICU and you know with COVID you can't just have anybody come up there at that point only biological mom or dad were allowed to go at the NICU and uh, dad didn't know and mom didn't come and so when we got to the NICU it's just the sweetest little thing pick up baby E and he had not really been held the way like a mom or dad would hold their baby. The nurses like, had been taking care of him and he was happy he was getting fed or whatever. He's four and a half pounds too. He, he was, was like a little tiny. Tall. And um, we picked him up. And I, you know how you do with a little baby. You hold him in your lap and like uh, you put him out in front of him. You put your hands under their head or whatever. So that's what I did. And I started stroking his little cheek because he was so sweet. And it was his first little smile. And that grin, and I just, it just melted my heart, this little baby, and it's so sweet. Um, but then it broke my heart, because I'm like, you've been in here, you know, at that point, four, five, four or five days, and you have not had this mama love, or this daddy love. And so, that was hard, and there's always mixed feelings about the biological family. Uh, that's hard, too, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, I would say, you know...
1: That's the ultimate goal, though, is we... Those kids don't deserve to be put in the situation they're put in. It's not their fault. Give them the best life they can give them, and give the parents, in this instance, the dad. You know, which didn't wasn't aware of anything. You know, luckily got him back involved. Everything worked out, and he's got custody. That is the ultimate goal: mm-hmm. is to get him back with the biological parents. That really truly is. He need you, the, the kids need to be with their parents mm-hmm. uh, as long as it's a very safe good environment uh in this instance i think it is you know it's it was perfect. like a
0: miracle unfolding
1: it is and it sucks because man he was my little number two buddy you know easton my eight-year-old he's my number one buddy but this little kid i mean he would have been he would have been it he would yeah. you know he but he's with his daddy which is a great thing right uh
0: can you tell? It's really hard for us. We yeah. love him so much. And I would tell you, we also love our other foster children, too. But there was definitely a different connection that we had with, with baby E than the other two. Um, but, gosh, they've all shaped us, taught us so much patience, taught us so much about, like, opening our eyes to how other people live and the reality of, like, this world. They've also taught us, like, how to relax a little bit and just enjoy the small things. Like, enjoy chicken nuggets. And macaroni and cheese. I remember, like, can't we just have chicken nuggets and macaroni and cheese? What about just chicken nuggets and macaroni and cheese? I'm like, don't you want anything else? No, that's all I need. And I was thinking, what? Ra-
1: ramen noodles. <laughs> I was, what do y'all want to do for dinner? Ramen noodles. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it just reminds you, like, of simplicity and um, just enjoying moments. And so, I would say fostering, you know, I don't know if we'll get another place. We're kind of in that space again. Like we feel like maybe we should, and then you know we have reached out and said, you know, these this would be our requirement, and you know, if you follow along on social media, if we do get a placement, you'll see that we got a placement. I mean, wow. it's you can never pre-plan, um, but you just put that out there and then see what happens. I would also say in another episode, I will go into detail. Maybe Matt can join a portion of that. And talk about the critiques of the foster system because i know that there are people out there that cannot stand the fact that the state or the government gets involved in taking children away and i have some serious concerns about any children being removed from their parents for many reasons um even within our foster care system i know why a lot of it is happening but i also know there's some serious flaws and, um, things that need to be changed. Some things that need to be changed. I would also say for us, you know, that doesn't, and it's only because it's come across my mind in the past week of information coming out. Like, that's not just children in our county that we we foster or are made aware of. You know, I think it's on our heart for all children. Mm-hmm. And So when we see things like children at the border, not being with their families, like that kind of stuff really crushes us because I think that we've got to do something to get children back to their families. No matter the situation, I mean, if it could be safe, we got to keep children with their families. And you see it when you foster children, you see the breakdown that it does to that child. And now they're starting another cycle of the detachment, another cycle of being broken because they've been pulled apart. And a lot of times they shouldn't be pulled apart. Yep. And so, you know, it's not a. It's for sure not a political thing. It's a... We love children. And there's some innocence that comes with children. And us wanting to help restore family dynamics. And I think that's why we foster. Mm -hmm. You know? And we never set out to foster. Nope. We never set out to be a pastoral family. Definitely not. You know? We never set out to move to East Texas, but here we are.
1: (laughs) No, I was okay with it. (laughs) Uh,
0: There's so many... We never... We never intended, it in fact, Just
1: everything imagine. we wanted to do was very opposite of everything we're doing. It's been very, it was always, my family grew up, or was raised in Big Spring, which is far West Texas, and she has the West Texas roots, and she was always talking about West Texas, and when she called me, I was in Cleburne, on a job site, and she said, like, what do you think about Paris, Texas? And I was like, pack, it. pack her bags, we're going. Couldn't wait. Got out here, and I love it out here, uh, and she's actually very fond of the trees, I was like, honey, you won't see that in West Texas. You got the <laughs> mesquite trees. That's about all you're going to get, you know, in flat land. And she was like, I can't imagine living anywhere else, you know, without trees. It's, yep. you know, there's a beauty out here. I love it. Uh,
0: yeah, there really is. And I would say <clears throat> for those who are like, if you're a person that's you're like, okay, well, you know, I'll listen to God and I'll start walking out in faith. Just don't tell God what you're not going to do because God will laugh and change it because a year I mean I'm almost certain it was almost a year before exactly Matt and I went out back in our backyard in Little Island where we lived and we were looking up and we were talking about like I wonder where we're going to go next year because we knew like they Something's were gonna going to point me somewhere um, and I was like anywhere but East Texas and it had nothing to do with the people or the place it had to really do with like I'm highly claustrophobic And I grew up coming out to East Texas and just remember it raining a lot and being on these back roads where all you could see was trees and you couldn't see around them. And to me, that was like, oh my gosh, there's just trees everywhere. I like wide open spaces so I can see. It makes me feel like I can breathe, right? Um, And so anyway, I was like, just anywhere but East Texas. And then a year later, that's where we got called to go. Now, thankfully, we're in Northeast Texas. Uh, so we can walk outside and see stuff other than pine trees, you know, mountains tall, but yeah, so we, that's our journey, right? (laughs) And we ended up in Paris. That's our journey. And I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. You've got to hear kind of how Matt and I started out, what we still walk through on a daily basis, um, and how we are nowhere near perfect, but we are trying to live into God's love and will for our lives and participate that For the world. So um, I hope you have a great rest of your week. Blessings, everybody.